chapter 9. And this morning we want to leave our study of James for just uh, uh, today, and then we'll get back to it uh, next Sunday and and uh, finish up chapter 4. But uh, to this morning I want to uh, continue on the theme of uh, the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. We looked at it in our Sunday school hour from uh, the New Testament point of view. And uh, this morning now we want to look at it from the Old Testament uh, uh, viewpoint here in Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6. Isaiah verse, uh, chapter 9 verse 6 says, For unto us is a, a child is born, unto us a son is given, the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Now, some translations do not separate the words wonderful and counselor with a comma. Uh, instead, they make wonderful a descriptive word of counselor, and that is certainly true. It's certainly a good possibility. But there are two reasons that we would probably argue uh, considering that. Number one, punctuation is not inspired, um, and it is a truth that cannot be denied. He is a wonderful counselor. Later on in Isaiah chapter 28, verse 29, it says, This also cometh forth from the Lord of hosts, which is wonderful in counsel uh, and excellent in working. So Jesus Christ would be the best counselor you and I could have for any problem that we might be facing in our lives. He speaks to us today through his word the Bible. And that, uh, but that puts uh, the emphasis, even though it may be a good emphasis, on him being a counselor. And I believe there's much truth that can be missed when we don't put an emphasis on his being wonderful. So what is meant by the fact that Jesus is called wonderful? Well, you know, names have meaning. For instance, there are uh, Indian names, uh, Crazy Horse, uh, that's uh, one name, Sitting Bull, uh, Running Bear. Uh, we have an, a lot of names uh, that uh, come from the uh, uh, American natives uh, here in our own territory. The Namakagan River, of course, is uh, uh, me, that means the place at the uh, or a river at the place of abundant with sturgeons. Now, I don't know if you've ever caught sturgeons on the Nemecagan or not, but uh, that's what the word means. Uh, even the word Minong is an Indian name, and uh, it uh, means a high hill. And uh, so uh, there are a number of names that talk about the character or the desired character of a person that possesses the name. Uh, sometimes there's nicknames like Bubba or Tiger or Junior uh, or Bud. Uh, these are uh, particular traits of a person's character. Uh, by the way, anyone know Tiger Woods' le- uh, first name? That's really not his first name, and you probably don't care. Uh, but uh, next time you see Tiger Woods on the uh, news or something, his name is Eldrick. Eldrick Woods. I know that probably doesn't sound real, uh, you know, like he, uh, like he's a great golfer, but Eldrick Woods, that's his name. Uh, Bubba's really name is Jerry Lester. Uh, so uh, there are a number of names, and you might have a nickname yourself, but uh, there are family names. Uh, family names, uh, uh, of course, our names, our last names uh, come from our family. 
And sometimes even first names are passed down. Uh, there are uh, last names, uh, the four, uh, the top four last names in the United States uh, are uh, Smith, Johnson, Williams, and Brown. Do we have any Smiths here? Well, we have one, right? That's your number one. Tyler, okay, good. Uh, uh, any other Smiths then, uh, but that's number one. Uh, you have uh, names of, uh, of uh, boys. Uh, they are the top ones for the last hundred years have been James, John, and Robert. You're, you're a top name. Yeah, that's good. We knew that. Uh, but then uh, uh, girls' names, Mary, Patricia, and Jennifer. Those are top three. Well, uh, they're names that also mean something. Uh, you know, uh, you may have uh, looked up the meaning of your name, and I think that's always good to do. Uh, but uh, uh, names uh, have meaning. Now, someone has counted the number of names of the Bible in, of Jesus in the Bible. 256 names. Uh, you thought uh, some you've known some people that have a first name and two middle names. Well, Jesus has 256 names. Uh, just of uh, scratching the surface, uh, uh, he's the advocate, the bread of life, the chief cornerstone, the deliverer, the door, the good shepherd, Emmanuel, Lamb of God, prophet, redeemer, and etc. and etc. We go on and on and on with these 256 names. But uh, it's because he's more than anyone can adequately express in a single name. Now, we talked about his single name, Jesus, in our Sunday school hour. But today, I want uh, this morning, I want to focus on just one of his names, and that is wonderful. It is, uh, was given 800 years before he was born. So does it fit, and what does it mean? Well, the word wonderful, the name wonderful, means something that is transcendently beyond the common. Uh, something that is way beyond the ordinary. Now, we might even use that word and say, boy, that was wonderful. We talk about a wonderful uh, uh, time. We talk about a wonderful meal. We talk, But here in talking about Jesus, uh, he, it's something that's altogether unlike anything else. It means to separate, to distinguish, to be great. Uh, now we have examples of wonderful things, things of wonder in the physical world. Uh, maybe you've been to the Niagara Falls and that's a wonder. Uh, maybe you've been to the Big Ditch. You know where the Big Ditch is? That's the Grand Canyon. Uh, uh, some people have referred to it as the Big Ditch. But uh, there are other examples of wonderful things in the Bible. Uh, it would be a wonder that David, a uh, shepherd boy, would kill a giant like Goliath. Uh, uh, how about the parting of the Red Sea? That would be something that would be of great wonder. Uh, the sun standing still for Joshua. But it's more than the way we usually use the word. And it is not necessarily always positive. But was Jesus true to the definition, to the name, wonderful? He certainly was, and even more so. I want you to notice uh, several ways in which he was wonderful. First of all, his birth was wonderful. His birth was wonderful. I want you to notice some things about the birth of Jesus. He had one human parent, his mother. He inherited the nature of man and the nature of God. Uh, he was the prince of princes, the king of kings, and yet he was not looked on or looked for with any great expectation. Some expected him, but not everybody. There was not any unusual preparation 
for him. You know, uh, if he's going to be the king of kings, there should be some great preparation for royalty. There was no room for him in the inn. Uh, He was born in a manger of a stable, and yet angels proclaimed his birth with joy from the sky to the shepherds. He could have been born in a palace. Uh, He could have been laid in a golden cradle. Uh, He could have had angels come down and care for him to be his nurses. But he laid aside all of his glory. And as it says there in Philippians chapter 2, verse 7, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of man. So why did he come? Why did he come? He came to bless and not to curse. Uh, He came to lift and not to cast down. He came to seek and to save that which was lost. Uh, He came uh, to give sight to the blind, to open prison doors and set captives free, to reveal the Father's love and to give rest to the weary, to be a blessing to the whole world. And yet there was no room for him. And he came to do all this, and there was no room for him when he was born. And I believe there is still no room in many hearts today for the Lord Jesus Christ, sadly to say. Perhaps you're here this morning, you have no room for him. But his birth is wonderful. His birth is also wonderful. And later, uh, when the wise men came from the east, they were guided from afar across the desert by a star to find him. Nothing like this announced the coming of anyone else in the world. And as soon as his birth was known, the king of the country sought to kill him and ordered that the innocent babies of Bethlehem be killed in the sense uh, uh, they would become the first Christian martyrs. But his birth was wonderful. Secondly, his character was wonderful. No one else has been perfect, only the Lord Jesus. Here's the, a man, the, and, and the God-man who was of the greatest character came from such obscurity and became the most famous in all of history. It's wonderful that such a time, such a country, such a people would have produced Jesus Christ. And there's no explanation except for his deity. You know, humanly speaking, one could safely say that the Middle East, the Israelites, and the time in history when the people were under the rule of another empire would be the most unlikely time to produce a person who would be, have the greatest impact on the human race uh, to ever be made. Uh, these people in general were lazy and lustful and ignorant and wicked as any people in history. And yet Jesus, one of the spotless, one of spotless, flawless character, came forth from these people. And truly that is wonderful and one of a kind. Notice uh, some characteristics uh, of the Lord Jesus Christ. Number one, he was close. Jesus is accessible. Uh, He's never too far away. He's never too busy. Uh, He's confidential. You can take the most secret thing to him. And things you could probably tell no one else you can tell to the Lord Jesus. Uh, he's compassionate. Uh, he's tender and he's loving and he's concerned. Uh, you're not a case for him. You're his child if you know him as your savior. You're not a problem, but you're a person with potential. Uh, he is cognizant. Uh, you know, that means he knows your needs. He knows what is best for each one of us. He's a specialist, you could say. Uh, he's capable He has all the resources and the power to help us. 
And then he can communicate. And we can communicate to him through prayer. Uh, he communicates to us through the inward promptings and convictions in our conscience. But most importantly, he, can, he communicates to us through his word. He is wonderful uh, in his character. His birth is wonderful. His character is wonderful. And then his life was wonderful. Uh, wonderful for its unselfishness. Wonderful for its sinlessness. Wonderful for its usefulness. Uh, his enemies could bring no more serious a charge against him than they to say that he claimed to be uh, God for his father and that he could do good on the Sabbath. Uh, that was uh, there was no evidence of selfishness. Uh, there was no evidence of self-interest that could be found in his life. Uh, he was always helping others. Uh, once he had the opportunity to help himself, he had the power to turn stones into bread, and yet he went hungry for 40 days without doing so. While escaping enemies who were determined to put him to death, he saw a man who had been blind from birth, and he stopped to give him sight, and he did it at the risk of his life. He never sought his own way but lived for others every day of his life. And the first miracle uh, was performed not before a multitude to spread his fame, but in a faraway town to save a peasant wife from humiliation. He had compassion on the hungry multitudes, and he wept over Jerusalem, but never he mercy for himself. His life was wonderful. And then number four, his teachings. His teaching was wonderful. Now, there's some things about his teaching. First of all, how he taught. He taught with simplicity, clearness, and he met the needs of individuals. Uh, nowhere do you find him seeking the large crowds, but you don't see him avoiding individuals either. His teaching was always at the level of his hearers, whether it be a religious leaders or the common people or little children. And they understood what he said, and no one needed a dictionary to bring to his sermons. Uh, he illustrated his thought and made plain his meaning with wonderful word pictures. Uh, he used plenty of illustrations. You think of all the parables that he used as he taught. You know, the Gospels are full of references to his teaching ministry. Matthew 4.23, it says, And Jesus went about all of Galilee teaching in their synagogues. In Matthew 5-7, through 7, we have what's called the Sermon on the Mount, and many great principles that were taught by the Lord Jesus Christ. In Mark chapter 4, verses 1-2, through 2, uh, it says on there that this particular occasion, the crowd came to hear him teach, and they became so large, he had to get into a boat and sit out in the lake while the people were along the shore of the water's edge. He taught them many things. His classrooms were synagogues and mountainside, the lakeside, and then even one-on-one -on -one encounters such as the midnight interview with Nicodemus when he gave the mystery and the meaning of the new birth. Nicodemus himself, a member of the Sanhedrin and a leader uh, of the uh, that Jesus had discerned was extraordinary and had a superior character. And uh, uh, Jesus uh, was there to teach uh, this man. And he, uh, this man wanted to learn from Jesus, the master. He said in John 3, 2, Rabbi, saying teacher or master, we know that thou art a teacher 
come from God. Now, at the other end of the social and moral spectrum, we find him giving his great dissertation on worship and living water to a woman who had come to the well to draw water. Uh, In this instance, he not only crossed the boundary of respectability in conversing with this woman, this woman of unsavory character, but also he crossed the line of racial difference and exist, that existed between the Jews and the Samaritans. So as a teacher, he had none of the resources we have today. He didn't have any microphones. Or he didn't have any electronics. Uh, he didn't have any PowerPoint presentations. And yet he was the greatest teacher of all time. So that's uh, his teaching. Notice not only how he taught, but what he taught. What he taught was never outdated. But it was timely and timeless, as when his words were heard throughout Galilee. All other learning and knowledge kind of pales to the insignificance, uh, into insignificance compared to the eternal truths that Jesus imparted. He taught that he was greater than Moses. Think of the impact of that on Jewish ears. That was like him saying to an American, he was greater than George Washington or Abraham Lincoln. Jesus declared that he fulfilled the prophecies and the law of Moses, and the only effort he had ever made to prove his claim was to point to the works, which he did. He taught uh, that all would be lost who did not believe upon him. Millions of people have been saved, but not one without believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. You find the place in this world that comes the nearest to being like hell itself, and you find it filled with those who are haters of Jesus Christ. If you go into the bars and the casinos and the dance halls and the the drug houses, you'll find people who are haters of Jesus Christ. And the more of them you find, the more uh, the place in which you find them is to be like hell itself. Jesus taught that he was equal to God. John 15, 23 says, He that hateth me hateth my father also. Do you know anyone else who makes such claims? I don't. Again, in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, he said, Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. No one else can, give you, uh, can make that claim. He offered the, to bear the sin of the world. Think of what he said in John four fourteen. But whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up unto everlasting life. In John 10.10, the thief cometh not but to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. In John 11.25, Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. Surely he was wonderful in how he taught and what he taught. But not only was his birth wonderful, his character wonderful, his life wonderful, and his teaching wonderful, but his death also was wonderful. And here's what I'm talking about when I said that wonderful things are not always positive, but they might be negative. They can be turned into positive, but it sounds like something negative initially. It was He was wonderful in that he prophesied of himself. He foretold how that he would die and when he would die. Now that may sound strange, but it's wonderful that he should be betrayed into the hands of those who sought his life and by one of his own trusted disciples. It was wonderful that he should uh, have been sold for such a low price. 
It was out of the ordinary, something that was altogether unlike anything else. It was wonderful, too, that he should have been condemned to death in a way in which he was, by both the religious and the civil authorities and the testimony of false witnesses. In the name of God, when all the laws of God were defied in that trial. It was wonderful that he was tormented and tortured so cruelly before he went to the cross that he should have been put to death in a brutal, uh, and, and that he was put to death in such a brutal manner as he was. The time of his death was also wonderful. On the day of Passover, and to which the Passover lamb had so long pointed, uh, the great publicity of his death was wonderful. Uh, it's doubtful that if any other death ever witnessed by was ever witnessed by so many people, hundreds of thousands of people were in Jerusalem who had come from everywhere to attend Passover. The sky was darkened, the, the sun hid his face from the awful scene, and a great earthquake shook the city. The dead came out of their graves, and the veil rent from top to bottom. What a wonderful scene. But not only was his death wonderful, but his resurrection was wonderful. He foretold to his disciples and had done so frequently with always saying whenever he spoke of his death that he would rise again on the third day. And yet every one of them appeared to forget about that. And not one of them was expecting it. None of them thought of going to the sepulcher that morning on the third day except the women and they only to prepare his body fully, more fully for the grave. Now this shows how fully they abandoned all hope when they saw that he was dead. Some left the city, for we're told of two who went to Emmaus. Uh, the manner of his resurrection was godlike. No human mind could ever imagine such a scene. Had some man described it in a way in which he thought it should have occurred, he would have had earthquakes and thunder and great commotion in the heavens. And a sound like that of the last trump would have proclaimed and all the terrified inhabitants of Jerusalem that he is risen. But it wasn't like that at all, was it? An angel rolled away the stone at the mouth of the sepulcher as quietly as the blooming flowers in the spring. The women who were there early found no disorder in the grave, but the linen clothes which he had tenderly, had tenderly robed his body were neatly folded and carefully placed. And then how wonderful are the recorded appearances after the resurrection. Again, so different from what man would have had uh, uh, done themselves. He appeared to every one of his friends and to his best friends, but not a single one of his enemies got to see him. Now we know the story of the resurrection is true because none but God would have had things happen in the order in which they did and in the way in which they occurred. Had the story been the false record, uh, it would have made Jesus go to Pilate, the high priest, and to others who had put him to death and to prove that he was risen. So isn't that wonderful? His birth is wonderful. His character is wonderful. His life was wonderful. His teaching is wonderful. His death is wonderful. And his resurrection is wonderful. You think for a moment with me, after he arose and ascended to heaven, he left no colleges or universities that were had founded to promote his doctrines. But he committed them to a few humble fishermen. You know, looked at from the human side, it would have been almost uh, most likely that what he said and did would have been forgotten within a few years. 
He never wrote a sermon. He never published any books. And yet his doctrines have endured for more than 2,000 years. They have gone to the ends of the earth. They have worked miracles wherever they have gone. They have lifted nations and people out of darkness and the degradation of sin. Worship of other gods and religions have come and they've gone. But the great teachings of Christ continue to endure. You know, when Jesus fed the 5,000 with a few loaves and fishes and healed the poor woman who touched the hem of his garment, there were no churches or missionary organizations or hospitals. And yet today, those kinds of things are scattered all over the world. When he ascended into heaven and disappeared from the gaze of those who were there, the only record of his saying was graven up on their hearts. But now there's entire libraries devoted to the consideration of them. The words of no one have been so important as the words of Jesus. His words have been translated into almost every known tongue. No book has ever had circulation as the one that contains his word, his thoughts, his life, his message. All these things are so wonderful, so unique, so unlike anything else. But there's one last thing. It's his salvation is wonderful. His salvation. He is true to his name because he's a wonderful savior right now. Down through the years, the love of Christ has gripped many a heart. And they have put their trust in Jesus Christ. I remember as a boy how it gripped my heart. And I put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ as my Savior. I accepted that he paid the penalty for my sin. And I was wonderfully saved. Christ's saving power has been demonstrated over and over and over and over again. I read of a man who was serving a sentence in prison. This could have happened in one of the prisons that our prison team visits. I don't know. It could have happened. But it's a similar situation. This man was serving a sentence in prison. As our, our folks that go to the prisons know, there are many there serving for a long time. And he had lived a life of crime. He had never heard of the name of God outside of profanity. But one day he heard a verse in the prison chapel. And he took hold of his attention. He thought, I'd like to see it and read it for myself. And so he took the Bible to his cell and began to search for it. He didn't know, but one sure way to find it was to begin at the first verse in the Bible and just read straight through until he came to it. The verse he wanted, actually, though, was in Hebrews, way in the back part of the New Testament. He read on chapter after chapter and day after day, looking for that verse. But long before he found it, he found Jesus Christ. Yes, salvation is wonderful. Many a man who is headed straight for uh, hell is preaching the gospel today because they were stopped by the light of God and the voice of the Savior as suddenly as Paul was. Yes, he's a wonderful Savior because he can save the most wicked person from their sins. And if you do not know Jesus Christ this morning, he can save you as well, no matter what your past. And if you know Jesus Christ, then you need to thank God for his wonderful salvation this morning. For unto us a child is born. 
Unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Do you know personally this wonderful Savior? Is he wonderful to you? If not, this could be the greatest Christmas you've ever had by putting your faith and trust in this wonderful Savior. If he is your Savior and you're worshiping him, and are you worshiping him and focused on him? You know, we have many distractions in our day. It's real easy to get sidetracked. We have trials, we have difficulties, sickness, our business the attractions of the the season, our families. But we need to focus on this wonderful, wonderful Jesus, our Savior. Let's pray. Father in heaven.